Welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast for anyone who wants to raise other people's money for a business or property venture. Right now, there has never been more money on the planet and there has never been more opportunity. This podcast will help you put the two together. So, if you need money for your business or property proposals from banks, lenders, angels, whales or dragons, this is the podcast for you. Hey, hi, welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast. This is part two of Credibility with me, Ray McLennan. And it's with me, Nigel T. Best. Raymondo, hey, hey you threw yes. me with the 150th episode by asking how I was. I don't think I ever replied. I am always tickety-boo. I could run a mile, leap a style, and eat a country pancake. You know, all's good in the world. Um, but anyway, how the devil are you? Yeah, well, I'm not sure I'd want to eat a country pancake. That sounds like a euphemism for something. Yeah, face first (laughs) in a cow pat, I think. (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) Good, yeah, good, yep. Um, This credibility part, I'm amazed at how much there is to it when we were doing the research for the show and going through all the bits and pieces. uh, There's quite a lot to it. So I dare say this is episode number two. We need to just quickly, uh, for those of you that haven't listened to episode number one, encourage you to go and listen to the first part of Credibility. And we covered track record, we covered experience, we covered employment history and education. And today we're going to cover uh, a a number of other things. So we're going to cover contacts, uh, skills, uh, values, and vision. So contacts, Nigel. Contacts. Big big thing. It is. If, If you think about it, one of the easiest ways and sometimes one of the best ways to ever find out something or get help or anything like that is the age old adage, ask for money, you get advice, but ask for advice, you get money. But the question is, who do you ask? And if you don't have any contacts, if you don't have anyone in your network, if you don't have the people who are potentially uh, with the answers, then really you're missing out on a huge amount here. And what is it they reckon, Ray, you are only two contacts away from somebody, uh, you know, uber famous or, mm. or or whatever, or basically five contacts from anyone in the world? Yeah, sort of well, it used to be it used to be six degrees of separation, but I think it's now dropped <laughs> considerably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is. Uh, you've got the rise of the personal brand. You've got the rise of uh, the social media things where um, I was uh, chatting uh, to someone that we we both know uh, recently, and a couple of his TikToks, sort of business related business related TikToks, had got a couple of million views. Um, you know, it's just incredible how you can get out there and do these things. So, what do we mean by contacts? Well, in the old days, it was pull out the little black book of contacts, and you had names and addresses of somebody that uh, you know could potentially help for a given situation. So the obvious ones, you'd have you'd have your plumber, you'd have your garage mechanic, you might have the doctor's number in there um, and those sort of things. But when it came to business, it, it would be people who uh, could help you there. So maybe your solicitor, maybe your accountant, um, maybe somebody else who you knew did something similar to you. Um, and where would you find these people? Well, again, I know people, Ray, it's your it's your favorite sport. And I know a lot of people poo-poo it, but Ray, you're rarely off the golf course, aren't you? <laughs> uh, 
um, walking the yeah. dog, berating golfers for nearly hitting you, no doubt. It's never actually playing golf, is it? But, no, but no. The, golf, the golf club was a great place. It was a melting pot because you went out and you met people and you played a game of golf with somebody. And as you're walking around, you realize that that person is the very person you're looking for in terms of being able to structure your business, refinance your business. You might even have played with your bank manager who would have got to know you. And it's far easier to deal with people you know. Um, you think about it, you get a cold call, you have no qualms about hanging up. But if somebody phones you who you know and, and they want a bit of a chat, you give them a bit more time, don't you? Mm. So it was always this way of your contacts. You've got to get out there and you've got to, sort of build up this network of people. Now, I did, right, you're going to laugh at this, but I did a, a TikTok and yeah, I know, I can see the look of, of <laughs> you know, complete, complete befuddlement uh, at that very concept. But I did, I put one out there and I said, right, COVID pandemic is easing, lessening, we're out and about again. You've got to get out and network. You've got to get out and, and meet people. Several reasons. First one is your own health and well-being at times, because being locked up has been, a, for a lot of people, a bit of a nightmare. And actually talking to people, even when you realize you don't particularly like them, <laughs> you find that just talking to someone helps. It really does help. But if you're going out to network, you've got to get out there and, and say who you are, what you do, and, and what you're looking for, who might help you. Because it's this sort of ability to get out and, and explain to people. So Ray, we, we've spoken about this before, how to pitch the elevator pitch. And mm -hmm. um, we've got resources for that. Uh, don't forget, check out uh, the website, hdrmoney.co.uk. But we've got resources for that where, you know, how do you do these things? How, how do you introduce yourself? How do you get across what you're doing? Your, your network to your network, potential network to your contacts. Why is that important? Because if someone doesn't understand who you are or what you do, then the person that they may know, they will never have a conversation saying, oh, I've just met Nigel. He's looking to do that. I think I ought to introduce you to. And it's that sort of networking of contacts, that building up of contacts that so many people miss out on. And I get it. The network meetings are often at stupid o'clock in the morning. And I, I remember, you know, what, what is it? Uh, one of those big uh, sort of international ones that, that meets and said, yeah, we meet at uh, just before yeah, six. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something like that. Meet just before six. And I went, all right, yeah, that's cool. I'll pick the kids up. And they looked at me a bit odd. And they said, yeah, yeah. So we do that. Then we do this. Then we do that. And then we go off to work. And I went, what? <laughs> what do you mean you go off to work? You have a coffee and go off to work. I said, I'd go home and uh, if, I, if I've not eaten after picking the kids up, I'd go home and eat. And they went, no, this is six o'clock in the morning. And I just went, thanks very much. Goodbye. I'm, I'm out uh, on that one. Uh, I've heard your pitch. I'm out. And I, I was in B&I for, for a long time, actually. Oh, I said, six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I said, who the hell wants to do that? And he said, <laughs> oh, there's lots of people. And I went, right, I need to find <laughs> the ones at the other end of the day so i all my networking's been evening things um because i'm i'm happier to stay up later so if you if you're not an early bird and you're a night owl 
find the networking that works for you. Mm. Uh, but you've, you've got to get out there because, Ray, I have I just the other day, I'll give you an example. Just the other day, I was at a meeting. It was last week in the evening and uh, we were having uh, a networking bit. So normally you get a speaker and then, and then, you know, maybe a speaker, a break, another speaker, and your networking's really brief. But this time we, we had a speaker early on, prompted loads of conversations, and the networking went from the break for about an hour and a half. And we mm. didn't do the second part of the sort of networking event. And it was just talking to people. And what we found was uh, you got to, rather than a superficial thing, where you listen to someone's pitch and you sort of think, oh, right, you had a bit more time to go into a bit more depth and it was great. And I've had a follow-up conversation with a chap who is uh, doing something, you know, really exciting is looking at automating small hotels uh, so that they are far more autonomously run. Um, the automation comes in and he's looking for the, the kind of contractor market for these hotels rather than the touristy yeah. uh, market. And he's looking at implementing systems whereby the, uh, you know, the in, the out and all the rest of it is far more automated. Yeah. And he's, you know, looking at cash flowing those at a much higher margin. So it's a slightly different business model. Now, that, that's interesting because now at the back of my mind, if someone sort of goes, oh, I'm looking to sort of get into, into this, into that, I'd, I'd be sort of, all right, you know, hands on or remote investor. And well, I'd quite like to do it. I'd like to see how it's done, but I'd, I'd like someone to, you know, invest the money, maybe, maybe do something with them. Now, at the back of my mind, I've now got a name and a contact for someone who can do that. And so it's one of these things that, okay, is that beneficial to me? Not at the moment. It's not something I want to get into, but it's in the memory bank for the next conversation you have. And Ray, I cannot tell you how bizarre this is, whether it's the universe, whatever you believe in, but you have a conversation with someone and you go, God, one of the things that always amazes me is the variety of things people do. And I often look at people and go, do you know what? I didn't even know that was a thing, but now I know it's a thing and it's a thing that gives a great return. That's amazing. And then the next person, maybe a week later, you meet someone else and you go, oh, what are you up to the moment? Well, I'm looking to try and get into this. And you go, oh, what is it? And they say, well, it's really, it's a bit of a niche thing. It's a bit obscure. And you sort of go, what is it? And, and they name it and you go, no way. I mm. have just met, um, you know, someone who's doing that very thing. And it's kind of what? And it's, it's that kind of networking contact list that always blows my mind. And if you are not doing it, then it's a real struggle. But here's the little twist on it. I always think, Ray, I have met people and they tell me they're doing it. I see them on social media and they tell me they're doing it. I've, you know, then followed it up and gone somewhere else. And I've heard other people talking about someone who says they're doing it. And what's this doing? It is building a level of credibility in kind of this community of uh, raising money, property, business. And it's amazing how um, if you say it enough times, you will be known as the so-and-so. Mm. And 
that then gives people a bit of you know assurance it boosts your credibility and it might be that you've not been doing it that long and it might be that you're not the most experienced it might be that you haven't got the greatest track record in this thing but the fact that you're talking about it at these things and you're getting in contact with people and you've got a consistent message people begin to refer to you as the person who does that so Hmm. the fact that we've done this podcast for a long time people have said to me oh you're the guy who does uh, the how to raise money podcast oh, i've listened to that and what have we done we've got some credibility as, as doing a podcast because we've just done it um and people that go out and build up their contact lists and say what they do and say it to more and more people those people say oh the, nigel does that or ray does that and before you know it your contacts are building you know that message that they've received, they've heard about what you do is building your credibility. So if you mm-hmm. shrink, if you're a shrinking violet, then, you know, you're going to struggle. And funnily enough, the guy that I was talking to last week, who's got this automated hotel uh, business that he's doing now, I said to him, I said, what's the best thing you enjoyed about networking? He says, can I be a brutally honest and i said yeah it's not my networking event (laughs) you know tell me what you think he said i hate it all (laughs) he said i hate all of it i hate speakers i hate going over there i hate early mornings i hate late nights he said but but he said you really do build up your credibility with your contacts because you're giving a consistent message about what you do who you do it with who you do it for how it works why you're doing it and that just gets out there so he's kind of overcome his his dislike of it all because he understands the power of improving his business so there you go that's a long way to answer that one wasn't it it was it was um here's a bit of a tip for people who uh want to build up their contacts is, yes, build up your contacts, make sure that you've got them uh, in your phone, you've got them noted who they are, but also in the notes section, use the notes section a bit like a CRM. So for example, if you've met this guy and it's uh, automated hotel guy, then you wanna save that in the notes that when you met him, brief conversation that you had, just put in some notes in there because you can refer back to those sort of later on. Um, One of the things that I am sort of known for amongst the 3,000 people that I have been mentoring for the last, um, well, not all at one time, but for the last seven years, is having loads of contacts and knowing someone who does something. Um, And whether that's tax, whether that's um, tradesmen, whether that's the the best kind of person to do A, B, or C. um, Yeah, I've been known for putting a lot of people together. And somebody called and said that I had a, an encyclopedic memory. Well, it's not an encyclopedic memory. It's just using my, my phone um, and keeping the details in the notes section so they know what it is uh, and cross-referencing it as well. So because after you've met someone for the first time, it might be difficult to remember their name. <laughs> and therefore, it's best to, to be triggered by whatever it is that they do. What, what's the first thing that you think of? Um, I quite often, when I meet people for the first time, I ask if I can take their picture and I can put their picture into my contacts as well. And there's been a number of times when I've scrolled through and suddenly, ah, right, I remember that guy, you know, what, what it's for. But, um, but yeah, contacts, you can, now, 
you can now raise, you can get contacts through uh, all aspects of social media. Um, you can actually track down people as well through LinkedIn, Facebook, where you can, um, you can actually narrow it right down to the person that you're looking for. If you're looking for someone in a specific niche or someone of a specific demographic or whatever it happens to be, uh, these social media platforms are perfect for that. They've got all the data in there and you can access it uh, through the search facilities, often for free. So there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean that's, that's a great idea. And right, sometimes it's as simple as, so I've got something like Dave. It would be Dave Plummer will be his yep. first name but then yeah. his surname will be did the job at so-and-so when it was a tricky thing and he came you know he came within half an hour and you sort of you then recall the fact that because you might use trades all over the place mm. and you recall someone who helped you out and you just think yeah yeah he he was a, a good guy and and stuff or right he did commercial plumbing he did commercial boilers he did uh, domestic boilers he did flues he did those sort of things and it's it, it is quite useful uh, to do but certainly when you're looking at this to build your credibility the more people you have who have if you ask them uh, what do you know about ray mclennan if they begin to say a consistent message then you are beginning to be known as that and you get a level of credibility for that um, mm -hmm. this is what we're talking about here. You're trying to build your credibility. So if you went to a broker or you were looking to do a JV, raise money with a JV, and that JV was doing a bit of due diligence and they just put a message out, oh, have you heard of this guy? And said, oh, yeah, he does so-and-so. You know, immediately that that person who's doing the due diligence is going, oh, okay, right. And they, they ask 10 people and five say, yeah, they know or have heard of you and you are known for X, Y, Z, that really does help folks. It, it really does help because it's, we're going to come on to it later, but when you're looking for recommendations, testimonials, those sort of things, this is where it begins. So get yourself out there, build up your network and don't dismiss a person who cannot help you at the time, because that person might know the person that you really want to speak to. So it's the old, who do you know who? Hmm. And that's the question you're asking of your contacts. So you phone a contact that you think might know somebody and say, who do you know who does X, Y, Z? And it could be that your contact is the one that gets the next contact. And that's the one that you really want. So there you go. Absolutely. All right. So we've covered contacts. Um, the next one, uh, Nigel, is skills. What particular skills do you have? And quite often, um, people will underplay the skills that they have, or they will tie that skill to a particular vocation, such as, I mean, I'm dealing with a couple of professionals at the moment. One says, well, I'm, you know, I'm just a lawyer. What do I know? Um, and another one is a, a GP. Uh, what do I know about getting into property? Um, another one is a, uh, has a contracting business. Um, the contracting business is very niche and very specific, but wants to get into property and I always think, well, what do I know? So there's a lot of skills that are, that are you know, cross pollinate. They're useful in many, many sectors. But there's one, there's one skill uh, I think that we agree on that most people should really develop. If you're getting into uh, property, if you're getting into raising money, if you're getting into uh, boosting your business and your own personal brand, and that is the skill of public speaking. Absolutely. Now, it's 
as some people say, um, they're more afraid of public speaking than death, which is very, very strange. I can't understand that. But um, yeah, public speaking, it's, it's a huge, huge, hugely useful skill to have and something that can be done relatively quickly. So I had, uh, again, in the last couple of months, person who said to me, I, I really wanted to get into public speaking, but I don't know where to start. And I said, well, you've got a story to tell. It's a very good story. Why don't you be a guest on podcasts? And they said, well, why would I want to be a guest on a podcast? I said, well, because you've got a story to tell and it will help you with your public speaking. So uh, they did that. They went on. I actually recommended them to a couple of people who would interview them. They got interviewed. Uh, the first one was I wouldn't say it was car crash. They thought it was car crash. I didn't think it was car crash. I thought it was okay. There was a bit too many ums and ahs. And, and for a podcast, the last thing you want is to have too many pauses. And there was a bit too much of that in there. But apart from that, it was quite good. And uh, they were boosted by the response that they got and said, oh, it was a lot easier than I imagined. I didn't think it was going to be that. And then they went on and they've now done four since then. And the difference is night and day. And that's four podcasts in about two months. Um, difference night and day. So um, what, what did they do that was different? Well, all I suggested to them was the Pentagon. That whenever you're talking about anything, you talk about what, why, how, what, if, and when. That's it. What, why, how, what, if, and when. So what is it you're going to talk about? Why are you talking about it? How can you do this? What if it all goes wrong? And when do you start? And if you take that framework, you can talk about anything, really. Absolutely anything. I've taught this to my kids, and they're quite confident when it comes to talking about anything now. So it's called the Pentagon. What, why, how, what, if, and when. And if you use that as a framework, then that can be the start, the stepping stone for your, for your public speaking. And I believe now that this person has now discovered Loom and has started to use um, Loom to record videos around some of the subjects that they're talking about. Another one I was talking to was a lawyer who uh, has been quite uh, prolific on Clubhouse, which is good for public speaking, and has had recently joined Toastmasters as well, which is another thing you can do. There's always a Toastmasters near you. You can join something like that um, and you can generally get the, get the gigs. And that is something that really, really can boost your credibility. Nigel, which is what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would suggest um, just have a look and, and you can do this two ways. You can have a look at the people that you admire, who you feel have, have got a real high level of credibility and just analyze and say, okay, what are they good at? And you could say, well, they've got skills in everything I, I want to do. Okay, break it down. What's, what are they good at? Are they good at uh, talking to people? Are they good at uh, organizing other people? Are they good at getting information from people? Are they good at uh, dotting I's, crossing T's? And you could have a look at sort of some of the things that they're very good at. Make a list of them and then have a couple of columns and just put a tick or a cross next to each of those skills as to whether you think you've got them. Then come from the other direction, which is, okay, what am I good at, not good at? And make a list of all the things that you sort of want to do or can do or are really good at. And then I would just, again, two columns and just put a tick or a double tick if you're really good at something 
or a cross next to uh, those sort of things. And it can be um, it can be really diverse. If you're good at uh, a musical instrument, art, uh, sport, anything like that, never underestimate the skills that you've had to acquire to get to whatever level you're at. So all of those things require discipline. So if you think to yourself, right, I, I got quite good at something. So maybe for me as a kid, I played a lot of golf as a kid. Um, there was a little nine hole course near where I lived and I, I could go, I could just duck out after school, go play a few holes with some mates. We had great fun and I ended up getting quite good at it to the point where people sort of went, you know, you're, you're really quite good at this. And, and I was quite surprised because I, I didn't really feel I was. Um, and the amazing thing was it was easy because I enjoyed it. So it didn't feel like practice or hard work. And when you're looking at your own skills, I guarantee you will underestimate the ones that you find you enjoy. Uh, you, you won't rate them as highly. And the ones that you hate doing or, you know, would love to do, you will say that they are more important. The thing you've got to remember is the skills that are out there, nobody has them all. What is it? They say jack of, jack of all, master of none. Well, sometimes you need to be jack of quite a few, but yeah, a master of a few is good as well. Mm -hmm. But what's, the, what's this telling you when you, when you analyze it? Okay, we've spoken about the e-myth revisited the e-myth, um, Michael Gerber, and he talks about how somebody leaves employment and then sets up on their own and then suddenly realizes that they've gone from one job to needing to do about 10. And what they what he's effectively saying is he's, he's using this thing that I've just mentioned there, analyze your skills, analyze the skills of the people that you admire or really need, and then say to yourself, okay, what's going to happen here? Either I've got to upskill myself or I've got to outsource it and get someone else in. And when you're looking at um, the credibility side of this and your skills and, and what have you, if you rock up to an investor and say, well, I've analyzed what we need to do, and we need to do uh, project managing, the construction, the accounting, and the legal side of things. Now, I've worked in construction all my life. The investor's probably thinking, ah, tick bit of credibility and he says and i've had a look at these accounting and solicitor legal type things and what i thought was look i reckon i could have a go at doing those so i'll have a go at doing the numbers i'll have a go at getting the legals right so are you happy to lend me half a million and it's it's kind of one of those things where the investor goes hang on what do you mean you're going to have a go well i had a quick look at online watched a couple of YouTube videos. I reckon I can do that law, that law thing. Um, and we'll be all right. Won't we? Um, and that's when your credibility is shot to bit, shot to bit <laughs> sort of thing. So you, you've got to then sort of say, right. Okay. Okay. I'm going to have to outsource and get someone in. So know where your skills are, know what you can learn, but then recognize the ones that really you know, yes, you could become a solicitor, but Ray, how long did it take you to flip into being a, a solicitor? Seven years. Ten, seven years. Yeah, it wasn't ten minutes, was it? So no. it wasn't. It wasn't TikTok and a YouTube video. So you've got it. You've got to look at that, and you've got to say to yourself, okay, 
right, which skills can I pick up relatively quickly that will add to my credibility and which skills is it going to take me far too long to get to that point of being credible with that skill? And that's the one that I should target to outsource or add to my team. That's when you use your contacts. That's when you say, who do you know who can help me with the legal side of this? And that's how you build your overall credibility. But for those people who have skills who hate them, that's fine. Ultimately, you can outsource those. But at the moment, you've got the credibility. I know you don't enjoy them, but you've got the credibility. Build on it, use it, and the fact that you've got that experience. But those skills that you are really passionate and you could see yourself jumping out of bed to, you know, to do it, and it's only by quirks of education, fate, timing, location that you weren't able to learn them. And maybe you're coming back to it after 20 years. You started doing it, then you had a family, then you're coming back to it. Pick those skills up and learn them. Go out and get them. Ray, you do the skill stack, how to maximize you know, your, your skills, how to learn new skills, what skills are relevant you know, and uh, very important. You can get out and do those. So that's another group of skills. And then there's other skills that you just go, wow, that is it sounds boring. It sounds like it takes a long time to do it. And it, I don't think I'm interested in it. They're the ones that you outsource and get someone else to help you with the quickest. So this skills thing for your credibility, it is building on what you know. It is identifying the ones that you'd like to learn. And it's also identifying the ones that you need for your team, your project, your overall, you know, raising money. They're the ones you've got to identify and get someone else in to do it. But Ray, what you've said public speaking is your mm. favorite sort of game changer skill to learn. What, what else is a, a fantastic skill that people underplay that they may have? Ooh, interesting one. Um, some people have uh, great skills for communication, for example, and can enhance that. Some, some people have great persuasive skills um, and don't realize it, don't realize how persuasive they are. Um, and these are, well, every skill that anyone has can be developed, you know, but, but, and they don't need to be developed by that much. And the whole point of the skill stack is to develop the, the existing skills that you have by small incremental amounts. Um, and it's this, it's based upon, um, so David Brailsford, who's the guy that, that ran uh, Team Sky and the British cycling team, um, he, he, I suppose he didn't, he didn't invent this, but he certainly was a champion of it, of incremental improvements. And that small incremental improvements right across the board can lead to a massive difference. Now, you mentioned the book earlier on about um, uh, Michael Gerber, the e-myth. I mean, the e-myth says there are only four ways to grow any business. And that's to increase the number of customers of the type you want to have, to increase the number of times they come back to you, to increase the average spend, and then increase the effectiveness of each process in the business, which is all sorts of things like answering the phone, sending out invoices, and so on. And when, when I've worked with people and pointed this out to them and said, look, you know, you need to focus on who your ideal client is, and then you need to focus on uh, how they come back to you, they need to focus on their average spend, just those little things can make a massive difference. I mean, a massive difference. You know, the, the very first um, one we worked with was uh, was a, a, a restaurant and the restaurant increased the average spend by own. Well, well it went it was it wasn't a restaurant more. It's 
the one I'm thinking about actually was a cafe. The average spend went from three pounds to eight pounds over the course of about 18 months. The number of customers went up from 900 to about 1200. But then when you add that in, the average spend having gone up and the number of customers gone up, that the difference to the turnover to that business went from 330,000 to 800,000 pounds a year just by focusing on two small things. So incremental improvements, a 1% improvement across the board, across three different things, doesn't lead to a 3% improvement in growth. It leads to a 25% improvement. It's, it's, it's exponential the way it goes. So uh, any skills that you have that you think uh, may or may not be relevant, that well, it's in your head. If you think it's not relevant, it's not relevant. But once it's pointed out to you how relevant it can be, and how it can be incrementally improved by just a few small things, then it makes it makes a massive difference. Massive difference. Yeah, right. One of the things that I've I've found over the years, and I've done these. I think the first one I did was about thirty odd years ago. Um, I did a Belbin test, and you may have heard of Meredith Belbin, um, mm -hmm. but you'll have heard of other ones that have come in more recently. Uh, there's lots of them. Psychometric tests that sort of analyze the way that your mind works or the skills that you have. Now, I would put a huge caveat and I would use Winston Churchill who says, if you label a person, they will live up to it or live down to it. And you've got to be careful to label yourself. But I always found that I enjoyed the beginning of a project with the ideas and the chatting and the, you know, trying to pull different things together and get a combination that no one had thought of and, and do those sort of things. When it came down to the minutiae of dotting I's and crossing T's on the finer details, that, that just completely, you know, I was switched off at that point. And, I, and what did that mean? It meant that um, on projects, I came in early doors. And then when you had the bits that had to be implemented and you were, I don't know, setting up the machine to tool the thing and you were doing nanomillimeters or something or other, I would have just looked at it and gone, ah, oh, that'll do. Give it a twist and let's get going <laughs> sort of thing. So I was the wrong person for that. So a psychometric test, and you, there's loads out there, they can highlight um, an, an area that you may find easy relative to other areas. And it's this combination that you can sort of say, right, put that in the bank and go, okay, okay. So actually, if you're a bit of an introvert and you're looking to set up a business or, or you're doing property and you need to get out and meet people, if that scores really low for you, maybe one of the first things you need to do is work with someone where if they did the test, that's what they love doing. They love organizing meetings, going to talk to people, doing deals, getting stuff in. That mm -hmm. could be the, the top of the funnel that flows into the business. And then you're in your sweet spot where you're sorting things out. And it can help, folks. It can help. Don't let it rule or dictate your life because there's nothing to say that you can't learn the other skills, but just know what you are good at at this point. And I've done some I've, I've done some in in our office i've done some before and here's one um i work uh, a family business and what was interesting was uh, we discovered um what everyone's sort of personality and work thing was like and uh there, there were two things that came out of it because i was in the middle i was uh, sort of uh, I'm md of it and i have to deal with just about everyone in the business what it came down to was 
I was positioned absolutely in the middle, which said, I am a bit of a chameleon because I have to deal with all the, you know, all aspects of the business, which meant I could relate to everyone, no matter where they were. And what it said was, oh, this is, you know, how you deal with Nigel and, and just talk to him and et cetera. So it was quite interesting. The other one was family member. It said, okay, <clears throat> if you ask him for information, then that's great. But the things that really annoy this person are if you criticize the work that he does, he will take his bat and ball home or, or typically it would indicate he would take his bat and ball home and that would be that. <laughs> now, when that got written out in a report and everyone in the office read it, everyone laughed and just went, oh my goodness, that is so true. You know, you feel <laughs> like you've got to tread on eggshells and, you know, you've got to be careful. So everyone sort of went, right, okay, so now if, he, uh, you know, if something's produced and it's not quite right, then we need to sort of come at it this way so that we can encourage him to do it so it doesn't feel quite as confrontational and all the rest of it. And I thought, yeah, that's great. But then the other side of me just went, every time he did something, he got it wrong. <laughs> I just went, well, that's wrong again. <laughs> just threw it, you rubbish. <laughs> threw it back at him and just let the fireworks start. <laughs> and so, as ever, um, folks, when, it, when, you get the, when you get that information, use it for good. Don't use it for evil. <laughs> but yeah it, it was funny it was funny because it, it just explained people's reactions and uh, another person in the office when we looked at this and their skills their absolute skill was following a checklist and if if you had something a to z one to ten and you said right can you do this they will do it all day every day never miss a step and they love it and i thought Ah, right. Okay. So I'm from the other side, which is I have an idea in my head, I can see it. And I would have a chat with this person, I'd say, Oh, right, here you go. So I'm thinking this, uh, yeah, can you see that? And then I think what you need to do is take this, do that, have a look at that, see what comes back, move that forward, do this and then do that. And I always remember at the end of those chats, they'd stare at me. And they just look at me. And I used to think, wow, that they've either, you know, remembered everything I've said, or I might as well have been speaking Chinese to them. And what I, I found out was, yeah, <laughs> and what I found out was, you know, I was, it was, you know, this person, I used to come back and I'd go, how are you getting on with that? And they'd look at me again with that same expression, as if to say, oh, God, he's come back. Where's your um, checklist? <laughs> yeah. And and then I realized, I realized that this person struggled with that type of, of thing. So their skill was a checklist. So I'd just, you know, get a piece of paper and I'd say, right, I want you to do these five things. My God, they did it in about half an hour. Mm. And yet I'd given them a couple of days when I gave them my usual vague wishy-washy uh, sort of uh, conversation, which to me was as clear as a bell. <laughs> I realized, I realized that, that their skill was understanding a checklist. Mine was giving a vision and I had to convert my vision into that checklist. And yeah, then yeah. they were happy. And I tell you what, that really dropped out when we did the psychometric test or this analysis. And I just went, got it. My fault. I do apologize. I should have, I should have spotted that years ago. Um, 
But what a difference it makes. What a difference it makes when you understand, you know, how people work. So yeah. there you yeah. go. That that was kind of a, a sidetrack on the skills. But Ray, as what you can see, of, <laughs> one, of our, of, one of our skills is the ability to filibuster <laughs> and walk <laughs> a dead horse. <laughs> Ray, what's what's your personality? What what are your key attributes? My key attributes. Um, well, I think uh, I suppose if you were to look at the is it the Belbin team rules? Um, yeah, there was the, there's I, the would, I was a plant. Yeah, there's the social roles, the thinking roles um, uh, and the action or task roles. So you were a plant. Um, yeah. I was a, uh, a shaper, an implementer, right. but not a completer or finisher. Yeah. Interestingly. Well, when when we first did it, they said, um, as we were doing it, said, oh, you'll come out. You, you might have one dominant one about 40%. Yeah. Then you'll have one at 30, one at 20 odd, and then a few that you'll get a couple of percent. I yeah. came out 97% plant. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and the guy just went, bloody hell. <laughs> so, so for 30 years, I've realized I needed to do some of the other plants. Well. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. So let's move on then from the credibility parts. We've talked about track record, experience, employment history, education, contacts, and skills. And we're now going to talk about a big one, which is values. Values and what are your values? This is an interesting one always because whenever um, I ask anyone, you know, what what's your what's your values? Uh, interestingly, they will. Uh, there's my dog coughing to death in the background. <laughs> They will, uh, in, they will like to do it say, quietly. Oh, they will say, oh, honesty, integrity, that sort of thing. Uh, but no, we're looking for the values, not that you want other people to think that you have, but the ones that you do actually have. So, you know, are your values health, thoughtfulness, empathy, commitment, endurance? Are you goal-focused, uh, harmony, humility, punctuality, growth, responsibility, flexibility, learning, decisiveness? These are sort of values. And you will have some that are more prominent than others. So the, we, what we aim to look for is five values. Now, there is a great person um, who deal, deals a lot about values, which is a guy called Dr. John Demartini. And he's got a website called drdemartini.com. And that's D-R-D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com, drdemartini.com. And in there, he has a... Um, a questionnaire, 13 questions that narrows down what your core values are, and, and you can get very close to, to, to what they are. So it's a very, very useful and free uh, online solution if you're looking for, uh, to find out, discover what your core values are. Another way of doing it is that you can go onto Amazon, you can get a box of cards, um, core value cards, and you can go through them, and there is a website called hypnotc.com forward slash core values. So hypno is H-Y-P-N-O-T-C, that's Tango Charlie, dot com slash core values. And you can find out how to use those cards and how to aim towards finding your values. Now, why are they important? Right. Well, OK, when I um, decided to become a lawyer, I did not know really what my values were at that time. Um, and when I did the law, um, I suddenly um, realized that after a very short period of time that I didn't actually really like what I was doing. I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed 
um, what the law stood for and enjoyed finding out about it, enjoyed the whole learning thing, the whole growth thing, which is because one of my values was growth, you know, mentally, spiritually, financially, teaching, training and helping others. That's one of my core values. Um, another one of my core values was freedom to decide where, when and who I work with. Now, being stuck in a law firm, that wasn't terribly good. Um, another one of my uh, values is harmony. Harmony in everything, business, family, and immediate world. Well, again, that's not consistent with, with, being, a, with being a solicitor. Um, and another one is control. Now, I don't mean control as in to control other people. I mean managing my own life effectively. And then another one of my values is contribution. So being able to contribute. And then, you know, you've got other ones such as inspiration, health, family, love, choice, freedom, fulfillment, those sort of things. But when, when I, there was a big aha moment for me when I realized this. So one of the starting points whenever I'm um, meeting people who are uh, looking for someone to inspire, guide, mentor them, um, I'll have someone in my contact list, no doubt. But I, I always try and get people to, to look at their values and see what their core values are and then make those core values congruent with whatever it is that they want to do. So if someone has a core value of freedom, for example, which a lot of entrepreneurs do have, they like the freedom aspect of working for themselves. What they don't like is to be tied down to one place, to be tied down to, you know, to, to one particular task. And it's interesting because over the last few years, we've seen people who have been given their freedom with having with without being allowed to work from home and for some people that has been liberating and for others it's been terrifying which just goes to show now dr john demartini will famously say that no two people on the planet have the same core values because if we did it would be a terrible place to live um everybody's values are different but there are some of the major ones that most people want to aspire to. So most people, for example, want more money. Most people want more freedom. Most people want more time to, to do the things that they enjoy. Um, and yet they're living a life that doesn't, uh, it doesn't give them any of those things. And that's a huge frustration for people. And I think a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are the, 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 the kind of people who want more time, freedom, and money. Absolutely and like the freedom aspect, enjoy working for themselves, enjoy thinking for themselves, enjoy finding out things. So education, growth, I think these are, are values that a lot of people, uh, that certainly that I speak to have. And a lot of people that I work with one-on-one -on -one have those similar values. So I very rarely find that I'm working with somebody who has different values to me. So again, my main one, growth, um, which is uh, spiritually, financially, um, mentally, spiritually, financially, teaching, training, and helping others. That's a big one for me. So that's why I really enjoy one-to-one -one mentoring. I enjoyed coaching. I enjoy public speaking from the stage. I enjoy teaching, training, and helping others because it's one of my core values. Now, had I known that years and years and years ago, my life would have been completely different. I wouldn't have gone down the route of becoming a lawyer and doing all, all, the, all the things there. Um, it's I enjoyed it. I wanted to do it because I wanted to learn. I didn't necessarily want to become a solicitor, to become a lawyer. But when I got close to the finish line, I was convinced to cross the finish line and actually become a lawyer. Um, and had I known what my values were and stuck to them, I probably would have said, well, actually, no, I'd rather teach people about it. I might have ended up becoming a law professor rather than actually getting involved in the business of the law. And for a lot of people, once they realize what their values are, 
it can be a real aha moment when they suddenly think I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm climbing the ladder of success, but it's propped against the wrong wall. And what am I going to do when I get there? And quite a lot of professional people fall into that category. I mean, a lot of well, other lawyers who've said to me, well, I've seen you do it. You know, how did you get out of the gilded cage? You know, to them, the gilded cage is they can earn a lot of money, but they really dislike what they're doing. And I've met doctors in the same boats. I've met, I've met surgeons. I've met dentists. I've met uh, surveyors, accountants, all in the similar thing. You know, one lawyer I spoke to recently said, why did you become a lawyer? If you, if you don't like it, why did you become a lawyer? Well, my dad wanted me to become, to become a lawyer. My dad said, you should become a lawyer or an accountant. It'll be the best thing you ever did. You know, whereas my older brother who became a bricklayer is making a fortune <laughs> and he's out doing what he loves. And here am I stuck in the cave next to a candle scribbling out contracts um, with a wet towel across my back. You know? Anyway, so values. So uh, credibility, you do have an awful lot more credibility when you work within your values because it comes out of you. I think it oozes out of you. I mean, we've all met people, um, Nigel, you know, I know you and I have, we've met people who do public speaking and they absolutely love what they do and they excel at it and they're really, really good at it. And then we've also met developers you know, who've all had the same opportunities, the same money, but yet one developer goes on and makes a fantastic job of it. Everything comes in on time. Everything's great. And the other one makes complete hash of it um, because they're not living within what their values actually are. Um, and a lot of people in the property education business, and we know a lot of people in the property education business, the good ones their hearts are in the right place. They've made a lot of money doing whatever it is they're doing, whether that's service accommodation or commercial conversions or whatever. They've made the money there and they now want to help others. Because one of the criticisms I often hear about property training companies is, oh, well, if, if they were making so much money doing commercial conversions, why did they just do that? Why do they have to charge people for, for attending? The simple fact of the matter is not only do they enjoy it, but people ask them for it. People ask them to do it. I get asked to talk about various things. And then I get paid for it, which is fantastic because I love doing it. Um, and yeah, most people that I know that, that are on the stage that are teaching, training and helping others are doing it because they absolutely love it. And that takes you into that education part and uh, the credibility part that comes from working within your own values is uh, enormous. Right, um, fantastic stuff. And, and just on that point, it, it's surprising, you know, just because you don't value it doesn't mean someone else doesn't value it. So one of one of my favorite things is if I'm explaining, um, you know, creating, uh, helping people create websites, online business, whatever it might be down that route, when somebody makes it work and that look in their eye when it happens I get as big a thrill from that as as making money or doing other things. These are just just absolutely fantastic. When you when I see someone else's success, I love it. And I know in this country, we are brilliant. If you if someone else succeeds, everyone else hates them. For me, it's just like no. You, the question should be, how did you do that? And can I learn to do that as well? So that's one thing. But just going back to uh, a couple of things that you mentioned there with regard to values. Here's a good one. If you're looking to raise money as part of a JV, then I'd say you really need to understand the person that you're going to be working with and understand their values. Because if your values and their values clash, 
that JV is not going to be particularly successful, easy, trouble-free, bump-free, and all the rest of it. Um, I think too many times people rush into a JV, the values are wholly different, and that has a real knock-on effect with decision-making mm. and also the direction of where that JV goes. And what you'll find is if you're at loggerheads nonstop with your JV partner, it's not going to be great fun. So just be careful on that and, and see if you can understand what they value in life. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, and I've explained this to people at work when I was talking to them about values and they just sort of went, all right, I hear what you're saying, but I just don't get it. And I said, okay, picture this. We've just walked out of the office. We've walked onto the high street and you're walking down one side of the road on the pavement. And all of a sudden you see on the other side of the road, something happening. The question is, what would make you cross the road? And if it's something that will make you cross a busy road to go to that side, then you value that. Now, let's have some scenarios. You, you're looking and the first thing you see is you're walking down the road. It's a busy road. You see um, an old lady, an old gentleman with too many bags. Do you cross the road to help them cross the road? And there were a few people sort of nod and go, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, the, and, and a few others went, no, not really. Um, and you go, right, okay. So you've got a different perception there of what you would value. How about if you saw a dog that had probably been hit by a car that was limping along, was bleeding, there was no collar, it looked like they were lost. Would you cross the road for that dog? And, you know, sometimes it was the same person that would help the old old lady they would say yes sometimes the one that wouldn't help the old lady would help the dog interesting um and sometimes they'd say oh no just you know I, if i did cross the road it'd be to finish the dog off and you just go okay <laughs> all right we know where you are and then you'd say okay the other side of the road you can see some people and they're protesting and the protest is about and you could give umpteen scenarios couldn't you it's uh, campaigning um, for uh, women's rights. So, you know, the, yes, I'd, I'd probably go over, find out what they're doing. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Okay, they're campaigning for, let's say, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, okay, I'm going to cross the road. Yeah, happy to do that. So, all right, it's campaigning for the National Front or some far-right extremist thing. And they go, no, I wouldn't. And you go, okay, so we're beginning to work out what you value, what you don't. And you look at those sort of things and whatever the scenario is that you put. So if you saw some kids who looked to be struggling, if you saw a homeless person, if you saw um, a shop where someone, uh, someone's getting attacked, someone's getting beaten up uh, or whatever, what would make you cross that road, that busy road? And I always think if your value is strong enough, you will, you know, ignore the busy road. Um, you will not see it as a barrier. You will go in for those where you value where you value what's going on a little bit less. That busy road is the excuse to not step in. Honestly, it is like the Good Samaritan tale, and it's a reason why it's kind of the same tale told thousands of years ago. Who would help the person? And we still have the Samaritans now. It's synonymous with the person who would reach out. They value helping people. 
So if you're looking to do it, let's say the other side of the road, there's a, a building site on a building that you wished you could have raised some money and done something with. Would you cross the road to find out who's doing it? What are they doing? How much are they spending? Is there a way that I can, you know, help out, find out more? That, that indicates, you know, where you are, what you value. And so you, you've got to sort of think to yourself, okay, in, in real terms, it's whether even on your side of the street, are you going to step over the body or are you going to bend down and, and find out if you can help? And it's that, that to me is how your, your values sort of, you know, play out. But here's the, here's the final thing I'll say, Ray on this one and believe me i could keep no no it's unlike me my character trait is that i struggle to talk uh find myself you know short for words and uh i only give the briefest of answers however i am overcoming that for this podcast um but anyway i was in a meeting and and this is what i i think is amazing um in terms of people's values and i was in a meeting and the meeting went on for quite a long time. Mixed meeting, but probably 60, 70% women, 30, 40% men. And this meeting went on and on and on. And it, there were questions and, and stuff. And I, I, think, um, I think two of the men during the course of this meeting just got up, walked out, and then came back in. I think one, I think both of them picked up their phone. Uh, it was obviously ringing, went to answer a call, stepped outside the room or whatever, and came back. When the meeting finished, there was a bloody bun fight, mad scramble by all the ladies who did an en masse charge as near as damn it towards the loo. Now, I'm not stereotyping or anything like that. This is just what happened. And as they went past, I was kind of sort of bundled out of the way sort of thing as, as they were coming through. And I just heard the conversations. Oh, my God, I thought they'd never end. I've been busting. Oh, I can't believe it. I needed to go about an hour ago. I, I had no idea what they said for the last half hour because I couldn't concentrate and all the rest of it. And, I, you know, when they came back into the room for the next bit, I was asking people, I said, that was really weird how everyone just left like that. I said, why was that? Why didn't you just stand up, get out, you know, go to the loo, come back and, and carry on. Oh, well, no, oh, no, you can't do that, can you? And I went, right, we're not back in school. You don't have to put your hand up and get permission from the teacher. You can do it. You're a grown-up adult. And then it made me just think, for a lot of people, a lot of people, that ingrained thing during school, you have to seek permission. You have to put your hand up. You have to wait to be allowed to do something. I think so many people are that without realizing, carry that into life. And these people in this meeting were carrying that over into life. Now, the protocol in their heads for the guys who answered their phone call, and there might have been a woman who did it as well for a phone call, was that we've sort of given people permission almost in meetings, you know, if it's a phone call and you need to take it, you know, step outside, it, that was almost accepted. So permission had been given. But for some people, you've got to be totally explicit. If you need to get up and leave the room for whatever reason, please, please feel free to do it. We've done ones where there was coffee at the back of a room in a meeting and the person was talking 
and I stood up and I was looking at the person as I walked over to the coffee, I made it. I realized nobody had had a coffee because they were all <laughs> must have been waiting for permission or, or felt it was rude or whatever. I made myself a coffee, sat down and drank this coffee. Well, nobody looked at the speaker. They all looked at me and they, some of them gave me daggers as if to say, how dare you do that? He didn't say we could. <laughs> um, some of them looked at me and going, do you think I should have a go? And a few people, I just, I just nodded, you know, and, and flicked my head sort of thing and looked across those coffee as if to say, yeah, go on, get one. The bizarre thing was, it was like the Pied Piper. They started standing up and getting coffees. At which point the guy at the front then said, I'm really sorry. I should have said, help yourself to coffee. At that point, the meeting bloody ended as everyone charged <laughs> to the back of the room to get their coffees. And I just thought, wow, we've got some values. And the values that we were given as a kid were, you have to value permission. And we've, we've held on to that and we've stopped doing it. And I think, Ray, I've seen it and it manifests itself. Like you say, until people realize this is what's happening, people don't think they can have permission to seek the job or do the thing that they want to do. How mm. many people have families who, when you say, I've got a house, I've got a mortgage, I'm going to buy another house and get another mortgage. I'm going to borrow some money and get a building. I'm going to do this. How many of them have gone and don't want to do that? that sounds a bit dodgy. Yeah. You're going to get two mortgages. Are you mad? <laughs> sort of thing. And at which point all this permission thing, all this doubt creeps in and your values, what you value, your freedom, all these other things that you're wanting to do, this, this growth thing is being held back by that permission that was ingrained into us for so long. And, you know, I just thought, yeah, these value things, I valued having a cup of coffee uh, more than <laughs> waiting for permission. And, um, and, and these ladies uh, valued sitting there in agony, ignoring what the speaker was saying over just quickly bobbing to the loo. I just <laughs> thought, wow, what a crazy, what a crazy world we're in. And mm -hmm. Ray, you've done lots of work on, on, on values. And I think it's fascinating. I think it's really fascinating folks. I would urge you strongly urge you to go out do some of these self analysis, come back and go, bloody hell. I value everything I am not doing in my life. <laughs> I am, I am spending 5% on what I value and 95% on things. I quite frankly, couldn't give two hoots about. So I think, I think it's huge. I really do. Anyway, there we go. Uh, All right. uh, Ray, how am I doing with overcoming my fear of speaking? <laughs> I think you've overcome it a long time ago, Nigel. I wouldn't worry about that too much. <laughs> right. And for people that are listening, overcoming this, uh, we're talking about credibility. Uh, we're talking about the Crest model. We're covering credibility and the things that can boost your credibility, such as uh, your track record or lack of it, your experience or lack of it, your employment history, your education, your contacts, your skills and your values. So, uh, let's, I think we need to leave that there for part two, and uh, we'll cover part three at another time. But in the meantime, I uh, hope you're enjoying the How to Raise Money podcast and our discussions all around credibility, or Nigel's discussions around credibility. I'm sort of <laughs> chipping in here and there. Um, and uh, we'll hopefully see you on the next episode. I've been Ray McLennan. Oh, go on. Are you going to let me get a word in edgeways? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still Nigel T. Best. Thanks, folks. Bye. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to the How to Raise Money podcast. It's made for people who want to raise money as debt or investment equity for their business or property proposal or empire. The website has all the useful links and underlying research, and you can get downloads of the checklists and other useful information. See you next time, where we can show you how to raise money. There is abundance. There is money enough for everyone on the planet. The question is, who has yours?